What's going on guys 360 digital closing bell here I am your humble humble correspondent Michael Tanner joined for our week look back podcast episode 31 not episode 32 last week was episode 30 and a half or last Monday was 30 and a half it was a little solo show by myself so we've got episode 31 here on this gorgeous Friday July 10th 2020 we actually were recording this early Friday morning so you're getting the latest information generally a little inside baseball we like to do these the night before but we went ahead and cranked this out in the morning mostly just because we had stuff going on so as always i am joined by the executive producer of the show the publisher of the show and the director and publisher of the world's greatest website oilandgas360.com Stuart turley Stu, how are you doing today i'm doing fantastic beautiful day in the neighborhood and it is friday it is Friday, and at this afternoon, if you listen to the digital closing bell, now I have a hall pass to give out. You slipped. You, Stu was trying to give everybody a hall pass out yesterday. I, if no one, I, I won't. You, you, you I won't let you off the hook for that one. Hey, that, our listeners loved it. They did love it. They were emailing us left and right. I wish they were. So feel free. Along that note. We're not trying to hide anything on the show. Email us, mtannerentercominc.com. All the emails are available um, to keep with us in Oil and Gas 360. We have a great show for you guys lined up. It's a Friday, so we're going to go and just whip around the oil patch, covering all the stories. If you missed the closing bell, we're going to check in with the levels for crude oil and uh, uh, watch a pretty crazy uh, DOE crude drop, even though I don't think the price of oil really did re- didn't really reflect that. And... Uh, Still on suspension is a 360 official, not official fund, but we can dive into some of the things that I'm thinking of. But guys, before we get going, I just need to tell you about my friends at Adamantine Energy. These guys are changing the game when it comes to developing what's called social risk for the energy sector. And if you're wondering what that is, it's not just community opposition to development projects. It's everything from the success of the divest from fossil fuels movement to investor engagement on your ESG programs to individual states setting in crazy ambitious climate and decarbonization potential. Social risk seems like it's everywhere and then it's moving fast and it's multiplying like zombies social risk and, and that's why your company really needs a strategic partner like Adam and Teen Energy that can handle and assess for all of the shareholder institutional pressure on your peer companies and so much more Adam and Teen Energy leading consultancy helping oil and gas companies prepare for all of this social link they're led by Tisha Shuler who's the former CEO of the Colorado Oil and Gas Association she also has a podcast called the Energy Thinks Podcast which is probably the best place for ESG thought leadership I and mean, she has had some wild guests next week she's in interviewing um oh she told me um it's wild she's got somebody from uh who is it i'm i'm blanking right now but guys all the all the uh, um itunes spotify youtube anywhere you get your podcast um it's the best place for it's gonna come to me during the middle of the show it's she told me who she's got coming up next week and it was wild she's interviewed ceo of uh paula glover who's the um uh, ceo of the uh, the american association of blacks and energy she's had on multiple people from goldman sachs um morgan stanley she's talked with people from the national gas association really about how post covid how this whole ESG, but more social risk. I mean, I think I think a lot of people think ESG and and it can be some types of a tight, narrow window. I think there's there's this whole other broad range that she defines as what's called social risk that I think is is, is what makes them the go-to place for any of this type of stuff. So guys, Energy Thinks Podcast and www.energythinkspodcast or uh, energythinks.com. Your competitors are using them. You should. Two, guys, you should also uh, follow the show. 360 Digital Collision Bell, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, follow Intercom and Oil and Gas 3C on all of the social medias we post every single day to all platforms. I even set up this week a oil and gas on, on the Oil and Gas 360 Facebook page too. I put the RSS feed in there. So every story you guys drop on the website, just to kind of get our Facebook kicked back up. We haven't really been active on the Oil and Gas 360 Facebook, so we got that kicked up. It's been going pretty well. We've really enjoyed everybody who's engaged with us, and we're going to continue to crank up this content. You should also subscribe to the three Energy 360 podcast. 
podcast where all of your C-suite in uh, uh, you know energy thought leadership lives for oil and gas 360. So we've had some wild interviews coming up. We dropped three powerhouse ones this week. So you've, you've Alan Gilmer of Embrace, um and George Freeman of Geopolitical Futures. What's on tap next week? Um, next week, we're going to have a, a company, an energy company out of uh, Alaska that we're uh, pretty excited to talk to. Uh, they actually are an energy company for the entire city of Fairbanks. They were not meeting their uh, EPA standards, so they bought a uh, green uh, company and poof, uh, they've morphed themselves and made the, the content. We also have Inverus, uh, very nice with uh, Andrew Didamore, uh, newest stuff, uh, got everything in there, got got some great ones. We have some other ones we're filming as well, too. Yeah, Andrew Dittmer was a great interview. We, we, you know, I was, I was an opportunity to sit in and produce that one yesterday. Uh, if you're interested in what the M&A market both looked like for the past year and a half and what it's going to look like coming up, that's Andrew's specialty from the capital market. And so Stu and him chat all things um, M&A. This, this, this one that met, Stu mentioned with Alaska, we, we're actually cutting that up today. So it's going to be a quick, quick turnaround for you guys. I'm honestly taking that, as I, as I told Stu before the show, it's more of a learning thing for me. I This is, I think, more of an educational segment for all of us. So I'm excited to kind of hear about what they did and, and how they took this really unique approach to solving a business issue, which is something that always fascinates me. Um, but I think that's it, guys. That's a lot of clerical work. Let's just go ahead and dive in and start whipping around the pack. A lot of stories that hit this week. And and, and when, when I mean a lot of stories, I mean a couple huge ones. I don't think this was a – I don't think we have a long list. I've only got – you know, we only have four or five really stories that we're going to cover on our own, which you would think is life. But there were some, some powerhouse ones this week, specifically, you know, starting Monday um, and specifically Sunday night, Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway dip their toe into the energy market, buying Dominion Energy for – it's like seven billion, I think. Um, uh, it's four billion in cash, and they're assuming the five point seven billion worth of debt. So about nine point seven billion is exchanging hands. It's about ninety point nine percent ownership goes to Berkshire Hathaway Energy Group. I, I, we covered it. You know, I think this has been fairly covered. I, I, th- I think the one thing to take off this is, you know, for the past two months, I think everybody was saying natural, you know, within the energy industry was saying natural gas, natural gas is going to be sort of the next big wave. You know, if, if you listen to the interview with Andrew Dittmer, you're going to hear the same thing. Him talking about how the natural gas M&A market is probably going to be a little ahead of maybe the, the, the pure shale play, especially when it comes to consolidation and what a lot of these big boys see going on. So when probably the, you know, not probably the world's smartest investor for the past 50 years decides, yeah, I'm going to get in on natural gas. Well, it's, it's, it's pretty much a confirmation that we are all sort of correct. So the podcast won't take credit for it because we're just listening to what everyone else is saying. So I think the industry can kind of take a collective thumbs up on this one and say, okay, well, we got this one right. We sort of, we figured natural gas would, 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 would be at least where some of this money was. And when you see 10 billion flow into a natural gas deal, that sort of confirms what everyone thought. So um, Warren Buffett. Buffett now's in. Um, they did go ahead. I mean, a lot of what they they do plan to do is 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 turn in is is do some investments into what's called RNG, which is this new thing called renewable natural gas, which I'm not quite as familiar at it, but it sounds like an oxymoron. It sounds a lot like when Energy Transfer says we're not going to defy the Dakota Access Pipeline, we're just not going to follow what the court says. <laughs> okay, so you're defying them. I, I, renewable natural gas. 
I don't know where you get. I I need to read a little more about what that is. But that's you know when you when you look at kind of the terms they deal. That was you know what like fifty percent of the non-operating and under leverage assets um, and are going to be devoted to both Cove Point, which is a, a gas storage plant. I mean, but also these investments in renewable natural gas. So it'll be very interesting to see where uh, Berkshire Hathaway um, Energy takes this. Um, they're more they they are much more in the midstream space. So I think to jump up and down real heavily is a little. I think pull back a little bit. I think I think you know if if you're not in energy and you want to get in energy, the best returns if you have a lot of money are in midstream. I mean that's probably one of the if owning refineries and midstream companies are much more profitable than owning an upstream company. Just to be completely honest with you, the problem is it costs billions of dollars to spin up a refinery. It costs billions of dollars as we get into the next budget to lay a pipeline. So it's not you know you can kind of go out and you can kind of start an oil company with nothing. I mean I know a lot of different little small guys who were started by I'm going to go out and buy some land. I'm going to buy some right, some mineral rights to some land. I'm going to write up permits, and I'm going to flip them. And I'm going to do that enough where I can proof of concept, go out, raise a million dollars from some investors. Now I can just do that on a bigger scale. And you can sort of scale that upstream business. And it's hard to do. It's hard to scale a midstream business. What am I just going to go? I'm going to, we're going to lay some pipe between me and Stu. And we're, I, you got to have cash to do that. So, and, and so I think jumping up and down too heavy and saying, look, we were all so smart and right. Yeah. Berkshire Hathaway loves natural gas. They were in it already, but dumping basically four billion in cash up front and and, and assuming about six bills in debt. What's well, a couple billion between friends do? It's a good sign that they still believe natural gas is going to continue to be the future, and that's something that we can at least I think. You you got anything on this Dominion Berkshire deal, Stu? I think we've covered this pretty pretty well. I What's your take that, on it? Yep, uh, I the. Pipeline stuff, though, we're going to be talking about for a while with all the court cases, but uh, it's well, yeah, and and and, and so if if you, if you if if you were tired, you know, I felt like this was circa 2016 when Monday came around because as as, as kind of the big news that dropped during the trading week, Dakota Access Pipeline. Now, this is something where. You know, again, circa 2016. If everybody remembers, the Code Access Pipeline was was big in 2016. It went away. Now it's back. It's almost like remember net neutrality for a week for two months. We were all gonna have to pay eighty dollars for Twitter, and then it went away. We haven't heard anything about it. So well, I wonder when we'll I wonder when they'll bring net neutrality back. Um, but the point is, um, <laughs> that being said, the Code Access Pipeline is back. Um, and only because there was a, a new ruling um, by the judge that that, that, did, that actually did a lot of the same stuff that, that we'll talk about in history. But as you remember, the Dakota Access Pipeline, it was shut down. This is a, a crude oil pipeline that runs from the Bakken Shale all the way down to uh, um, Illinois, carrying 570,000 barrels of oil. A quick history on that um well let's not do the history first let's just before on august 5th energy transfer partners who's about 75 percent working interest has to completely um empty the pipeline energy transfer says it takes 101 days to fully and logistically emptying and shut down the pipeline so they don't even think they have enough time starting now they think they need three months to shut it down but they need to be shut down by august 5th sort of the update that rolled out on thursday that me and Stu covered was this this is what's hilarious so they're, they're supposed to shut down august 5th Ju- uh, District Judge James Boiseberg of the U.S. District Court for Lumia comes out and says in, in his July, uh, July 9th order that by August 5th they need to be shut down. Well, guess what? The day after that ruling comes out, Stu, Energy Transfer comes out and says not only are we not going to shut down, we're taking, we're signing deals to deliver oil in August. So in a 
You know, and what they didn't define as an act of defiance, but what everybody with the brain will define as an act of defiance. It's, this is, as we mentioned, this this is going to come down to kind of an old Mexican showdown here, like, or, or not not Mexican. This is going to come down to an old old Western shootout here. You know, I mean, we got just staring down who's going to uh, who's going to win. It'll be very interesting. And when we look at the history of it, I think everybody is is fairly familiar. You know, I. I was joking. I actually, you know, my, the first podcast I ever started, Stu, was back in, in middle of 2016. I was interning at a, at a small oil and gas company over in Golden. And one of my first jobs was to write these monthly reports on just what was going on in each of the basins. We called them the news polls. Um, and me having really nothing to do over there because it was a puny startup, uh, I was just looking for things. I was like, what if I just made a podcast? I, I enjoyed podcasts. So I started doing podcasts. And the old phrase, what is it? If, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it, does it make a sound? Or do you ignore your wife? Does she talk? It's, it's a good question. My dad, I would always tell that the, the, the tree fall in the woods as you hear it to my dad. He's, he's a, you know, he's got a master's in applied mathematics. We'd always say, yes, it does. Technically, it makes a sound even if you don't hear it. And he, you know, breaks down the difference between how a sound is, whether you hear, you know, sound is different than you hearing it. And it's okay. I'm just trying to make a joke here. So technically, if a tree falls in the woods, it does make a sound according to science. So yes, I technically had a podcast. Nobody listened. But I remember for the first, oh my goodness, three months, three months, every time I would have to do one on the Bakken, it was all Dakota Access Pipeline. Because you guys remember, this started in, in, you know, 2014 was when the plans were first admitted. Um, in April of 2016, construction basically ramped up. And what happened was protests started basically exactly then. Protests ran all the way through February 22nd, 2017. So you're talking April of 2016 to February of 2017. There were people protesting outside in, uh, and this was in the Standing Rock Indian Reservation located along the Missouri River um, up there in in. Uh, by Lake, what was it, Lake Oana? This is all just coming back to me. This is just bringing, like I said, circa 2016. I remember I was talking about this so much. So all of this stuff is is back. And what's funny is the same judge that denied Standing Rock the ability to sue energy transfer partners, Judge James Boisenberg in 2016, is the same judge that, so I mean, you want to talk about the, the same players are now just circling around. He's in the same position if you know from energy transfer side they don't think the, the reason why they're you know i won't i'll use the same word the ir firm used there um they're just not following the directive um their claim their their big claim is uh he doesn't even have constitutional authority to do this so he can say whatever he wants we're just going to continue to work it and so okay okay um you got to admire him i mean that takes that takes some gusto. I don't know if I would be doing that. Also, they may be right. They may, I mean, they, they probably have a, you know, they're probably using Haynes and Boone and they're probably advising them on this one, telling them, stand strong. There's no way. Well, you just can't turn a pipeline off. No. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And this is the biggest. So there's a couple, I mean, the fallout from this, you know, so there's the history. The fallout from this, I think, is the craziest part because there's a couple things here. One is, how do you shut this thing down? There's 570,000 barrels, Stu, running through this. That's a lot. That's half a. That's over half a million barrels per day running through this pipeline. Where's that gonna go? You gonna put it on a truck? That seems safe. I mean, it, it, I guess you know, put America back to work, start trucking crude everywhere. But there is a. I mean, from a safety standpoint, 
You think pipelines are less safe than, than trucking? Yikes. Well, on rail, uh, they just had a uh, executive order to allow them to store on rail and keep it longer than 24 hours. So imagine the regulations on a trucking company. So, oh my goodness. Uh, well, what's a I, what's a tanker? Let's see, what's a crude oil truck tanker weight or uh, amount capacity? Here we go. What are these things running? Eight thousand gallons of crude. So let's do the math here. Let me pull up a calculator. You got five hundred and seventy thousand. One, two, three divided by eight thousand. So you need about seventy-one trucks running every single day. Oh, was, 71 trucks. That's a lot of weight on the roads. In that's the a lot. That, that, that's a lot of trucks. I mean, you're going every single day have to make that trip from, oh, brutal. So, I mean, that's the first thing. I think there's a huge safety concern with tanker trucks. I think the second thing that you have to be worried about is the crew differentials between trucking slash rail or however we're going to have to transport this crude oil because it's not not going to get moved i think people think that oh we're just not going to move it now nah, it's going to get moved it's just a question a matter of what so if it's not going by pipeline it's going by some other sort of method and those differentials specifically truck and rail could be four to five dollars more per operator if you listen to our energy expert interview with rob mcbride who's who's uh, VP director. He's somebody extremely brilliant over at Enverness, as always. They've got brilliant people. Yeah, yeah the rail, uh, he was talking about the 4 to $5. Trucking would be a lot more. Yeah, trucking would be a lot more. But his, his, his Bakken was getting hurt by COVID-19 more than any other basin already before this regulation came out and before, before while the Dakota Access Python was flowing every single day, they were already... Um, they were already doing that. So the fact of the matter that now you're going to have to add this burden to 570. I mean, it, it, I think you, this is going, if this actually takes place, I'm skeptical that they're actually going to shut this in. I think this is going to be overturned. And I don't think energy transfer partners would be taking this defiant stance if they didn't feel like they had some extremely solid legal standing behind them. So... I don't think it's going to be shut in, but if it does, from a safety and a cost standpoint, it's just disastrous. And I think this could lead to some undue consequences, both financially, if if you know, if if we're having to go by truck, and and, and safety wise. I mean, you know, I I'm all for getting seven, you know, getting you know, getting you know, putting America back to work, but at what cost? From you know, there is a there's a line between safety and maybe we need jobs. I mean, you know, so I. You will be following it, Stu. I bet that's about the only thing I can say. You've got a story on Noble. Uh, yes, Noble. That's uh, actually pretty cool uh, information. Uh, Noble says that uh, U.S. shell drill drillers had to basically cut their supply by 2 million barrels per day to uh, counter the historical crude. But Noble... Uh, was down 64% in their shares this year, um, but they're gonna be able to restart uh, their capacity to 124 million barrels per day in the second quarter. Pretty cool news, yay. You know, get it turned back on. 
Yeah, no, it's it's good to get some of this this crude going. None of it's going to be going through the Dakota Access Pipeline, though, if it's up in uh, if it's if it's up in the Bakken. But uh, you know, U.S. production, not to spoil alert, it stayed flat this week um, in terms of week over week production. So, um, it, uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, hey, um, wasn't the Balkan where you kept saying you were going to give an award to the only single frack crew running around? Well, I, I just all I said was those better be the Michael Jordans of frackers. Yeah, there you go. I knew that was it. Okay, and they better be. I'm telling you, because I, I I don't know how many crews they're running. Um, that comes out later this afternoon. We'll know how many frack crews they got running. But that is uh. They better be the Michael Jordans of frackers. If there's one crew running around there, they better be, and they better be paid well, and they better be fed well as well because these guys are out there on the front lines is the only crew in the pocket, so we really appreciate those guys grinding for us. You know, speaking of oil field services, not to sort of put a a damper on on, on the show here, but uh, this week, Petroleum Equipment Services Association, PESI, who's Houston-based, reported earlier that about 94,000 oil field service-specific jobs have been lost um, due to COVID-19, specifically 59,306 job decrease during this month. Woo! Student, that's a big number. That's a big number, even by your standards. Even It's a 12% cut across the board, which is unbelievable to think about. This was a collaboration in conjunction with the University of Houston Hobby School of Public Affairs. This is where, you know, when you talk about reducing CapEx, it doesn't necessarily hurt oil companies. It hurts service companies. CapEx spending is directly tied to oil and gas. I mean, and, and Veris, what do they tell you that, well, what's their big pitch when they get on these? 90% of all CapEx runs through one of our systems. But when CapEx gets smaller, even companies like Inveris get squeezed. Now, they're they're able to, they, they have a different niche than, you know, your Halliburton's and Schlumberger's and specifically where I think a lot of these jobs were lost, work over rigs, stuff like that. But CapEx, when it gets cut, it, it, it impacts these guys tremendously. And so, you know, it's, I, there's no much more to say about that other than this is why we want 40, 45 feet of oil only to so that we can at least start to bring this number back up. Um, big numbers, Stu. That's it's huge. Very huge. It's, it's big. Uh, um, kind of the, the last story we run, this is more of a, um, we ran this in the closing bell yesterday. Um, any Buffalo Bills, if any Buffalo Bills fans are out there, your your owner, Terry Pagula, um, is starting an energy SPAC called East Resources Acquisition Company, and they're filing for a $300 million IPO. Um, the company is led, as I mentioned, by CEO and Chairman Terrence Pagula, who's the founder of oil and gas e, uh, of the oil and gas EMP East Resources, which was recently sold in 2010 to Royal Dutch Shell for $4.7 billion, which allowed him to buy the Bills and subsequently run that team into the ground. So I'm sorry for any Bills fans out there. Go jump off go jump off your tailgate and land on a desk and and land on a table for me and crack it in defiance. Um, uh, that's on the Bron- I'm pretty sure they're on the Broncos schedule this year. We can just chalk that one up to a win right there. Um, they're trading under the Nasdaq symbol ERES uh, and they're based in Boca Raton. What could possibly go wrong there? Um, it, they're also an energy SPAC. So if you don't know what an SPAC is, it's a special permissions acquisition company, which is basically 
the company doesn't necessarily have a it has a business model but it doesn't necessarily it basically is raising money to go out and acquire businesses to run and generally they are somewhat ambiguous in what they decide to do a lot of times hey we're we're, we're doing a tech SPAC we're doing a energy SPAC and they decide to go out and and really it's trust and faith in a ceo a lot of these ceos and chairmen that run these companies have done what sold companies to shell sold companies off and there's a huge ipo investor base that would allow for this type of raising so on one hand we joke you know who's trying to ipo an energy company in 2020 post covid it's also a good sign though i mean if you can ipo 300 million doesn't matter if it's an spac you know even if the guy does own the bills clearly can't you know, you know <laughs> we kid about that. I'm just not a big Bills fan, so got to cut me some slack here. Uh, oh, and uh, Michael, we may laugh about it, but it may be the uh, rock that gets kicked to start the rest of it. That, so. That's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, if, if 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 nothing more, this shows that there's at least still some capital available to go out and do some stuff with, and that that's a that is you know that's a good sign. Um, Stu, what happened to the international news desk this week? Michael, we've had some really politically involved things. If you can imagine politics and uh, pipelines in the U.S. and Canada. Here's one that really kind of got me on this one. Line 5 was shut down. Uh, Enbridge has been trying to repair this and put, not repair, Mm -hmm. it's been there for, I believe, 40 years. And their Enbridge is trying to put in a new line. Well, uh, Michigan officials have been trying to shut it down. The governor, Gretchen uh, Whitmer, and Attorney General Dana Nessel, they have been trying to kill Line 5 for a very long time. And let me just kind of explain why Line 5 is so important. Enbridge imports a lot of oil to the refinery in uh, Canada. This provides a huge amount of gasoline and air fuel to Canada uh, coming up under uh, the river. If they do uh, get it uh, shot down, uh, Canada Mm -hmm. will have to import its own oil and then transport all of it through the Panama Canal. We talked about price increase from just uh, tankers and trucks. Think about how much the poor Canadian companies are going to have to pay. This is they already one- they're they're all they they're making less money than U.S. Bach and shale companies were. And 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 that is so stupid for our neighbors. I we love Canada. Uh, in fact, next week you and I are in, uh, interviewing several Canadian uh, oil field uh, specifically oil. on this because there's uh, there's there's this seems to me this makes zero sense to me. I, I like to pride myself and I try to you know everyone's generally has an angle or has at least some version of an argument whether I agree with their argument or not. I I'm not even sure if I can see the argument on the other side of this one. I don't know if I can play devil's advocate. Let me give you just a couple stats. Uh, Line 5 transports 540,000 barrels per day of oil in natural gas liquids into the Serena area, more than half of the oil entering Ontario. Ontario refines about 500,000 barrels per day 
and the rest is exported via Enbridge to line nine out of Quebec. Um, Enbridge protects, predicts a shortage of about 45% for refined petroleum products in the region. The Canadians are gonna be paying bucks for their gasoline. Um, it is it is horrible. The line runs uh, 1,038 kilometers from Superior, Wisconsin to Scenaria, Ontario. The pipeline has been around not 40 years, 67 years without an incident. And Enbridge is trying to do the right thing and replace it. He, uh, I, I'm stunned by the political stupidness of um it's just anyway. posturing it's posturing uh, it is stupid um and it's hurting our neighbors um anyway uh i'm sorry political stuff going on this week is sad for the consumer but these people don't understand what they just did to our citizens and the canadian citizens no but they don't they don't they and it's going to be a fascinating conversation. Um, I think it's go ahead and t- time to dive into the levels for oil trading this week. Guys, as always, this segment is sponsored by Sandstone Capital Group. These guys do insanely good research and provide all of their levels from their energy game solution. Check them out, sandstonecg.com. Call 5-949-561-1818. Tell them the podcast sent you. They'll give you a great deal, I promise you. I- interesting week for oil this week. I mean, we were... And what I mean by interesting, very you know boring up until you know you know July you know yesterday and and hopefully today we have some very interesting new or we we have some good volatility but you know we 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 range from forty to forty one all the way from Monday all the way to Thursday um you know when you look at the the point of control for the week forty sixty one that's a good 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 point of control we have a, a naked point of control um for a, on the daily side up at forty one even so that's good to see when we look at the levels top to bottom I still like thirty seven eighty one and thirty eight 18 is kind of our two floors here now 3909 currently trading at 3927 i think is a is a weird floor we popped all the way down to about 3850 but there was really early in the trading session this morning uh, for the Euro or for the Asian um, and Euro open, but we've since kind of risen back up and I think I expect us to get maybe over above 40 before we close out today. Um, but really, you know, oil just fell off the table, um, you know, early in that um, trading day, um, July 9th, about 6 a.m., about 6.50 in the morning, really fell off the table. We were trading 40, 80, uh, things settled at 39, 30. So I mean, that's a, that's a $1,300 uh, one contract swing right there. If you're trading individual contracts and you had that had that marked out, so a really really good, uh, uh, you know, kind of a correction of crude oil bringing it down. Price action chart looks looks spicy. Like I said, thirty nine forty eight. I think is another level on the upside to look for 40, 33, 40, 61. and obviously the top at forty one eighty five. I think those are kind of the two. It'll be interesting. I, you know, I, do I think we get above forty-two next week? I don't know. Like, yeah, you have to. You know, I'll, I'll spend some. We'll spend some time this weekend thinking about where we think oil will go, and you have to tune in. We're gonna tease that. We have to tune into the week ahead to kind of get our predictions on that front. Um, crude oil inventory Wednesday. Really interesting news. I mean, I mean, oil was unshaken by a five point seven million barrel build. Cushing even had a two and a half million barrel build. 
Domestic production remains flat at 11 million. Utilization for natural gas, 70, or refinery utilization, 77% versus 76 expected. So that's a good 1.5% bump on terms. You know, people are out there driving. I know, you know, whether or not there's a second wave, I think, you know, I think people are beginning to get back out there. I think you're starting to see that reflected a lot more in these numbers. That's really all I've got for crude oil this week. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I pretty boring for price action. I mean, you actually look at, you know, if you were a trader this week trading crude oil, you were, you had a light, you had the week off as we would always joke. But uh, as, as you, you, you were on for the past three months trading negative oil. So you deserved at least a week where you could relax a little bit and have some nice range bound trading. But, you know, uh, traffic is back. Uh, here in Dallas, uh, it is uh, just about recovered as far as traffic goes. It's anecdotal, so I don't like necessarily using that as hard stats, but it's the same thing here. So he, oh. We're packed in traffic. I've seen images from Houston, so you're right. I think I'm using, I like to use that as evidence, but we have, we must say it is anecdotal. We're just, this is just what right. we see. But we're still uh, 80% down in airline fuel. Yeah. Well, no uh, one's flying because you got the, the your. I flew two weeks ago and four weeks ago. You got to wear a mask. You, they're putting people. You know, it's the reg. Not that that's a bad thing, but it's if you already don't like flying or you don't have to fly, you're not doing it. You know what I mean? Like, I think you're only flying right now if you actually have to. I think a lot of people are saying, "I'm good." Like, no one's vacationing via flying. Maybe people are road tripping. Um, Blah blah blah. You know, you know. I, it, but no, you people are pretty much flying for business essential. Not even business essential. I mean, most businesses are don't really want their employees to travel because there's regulations around that. Most people I are traveling be, for fun. To be honest with you. Yeah, I got to be in Denver here uh, this next month. I think I'm gonna have a road trip and drive. No doubt, it'll be a, it'll be a good drive. Bring the pup up. We can, you can come uh, crash with me. Oh, hey, that sounds fantastic. Fun. So, I don't think so. <laughs> I feel I feel anything anything else this week in oil that we miss in terms of levels or DOE? Um, no, I think we're good. It, hey, uh, real quick, though, the majors are fighting over every single drop of oil that they're fighting for in the mm. world. Storage war in OPEC is building so that the majors are in countries are having to fight for any order they can expect a slugfest yeah. that we following no and 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 we'll definitely follow in that guys usually our segment three is the 360 official non-official fund where we have a where the the segment is for entertainment purposes only and everybody in the show invests for our own account and we do not manage any outside money we, we never give investment advice we do not offer securities or have any involvement in the regulated side of the industry guys remember investing is wishing you can't lose your entire principal We've officially last week on the show, or last Monday, I suspended the fund uh, pending further review by uh, the uh, regulatory, our podcast regulatory commission fund, and we're still we're still under suspension, hence a rebrand. So we're working on it as we speak. Wait a minute, flag on the field. <laughs> yeah, flag. It was it was more exactly. It was a flag on the field. Um, it's it's just been bad right now. So we we're, we're doing a complete rebrand. Um, investors have lost faith. Um, our, our biggest investors at Fleet. So we're we're eating crow. We're regathering our thoughts, and we're going to be out. The battle may have beaten us, but we promise we will win the war. Anything we missed on the show today, Stu? We're about 30, you know, 30, 35 minutes here. I think it's time to let these guys go. Um, just big news all over the world. Uh, we are so sorry for the political issues causing people's job loss. Yep. That's brutal. 
Sorry, our heart goes out to the folks losing their jobs. And all of those 94,000 oil field service people, um, you know, we ran that in the show. We, we, we it's, It stinks, and, and if there's anything we can do, guys, email the show, mtannerintercominc.com, sturley at intercominc.com. With that, go, we're going to let you guys get back to work. Thank you for checking out the 360 Digital Closing Bell. We will see you guys this afternoon for the digital ticker.